Hello, listeners. You're listening to Gotta Jabru, and you are here with me, the Lizza. And I am the kid himself. And today is a very special day for this podcast. Why is that? Because we have our first and probably the best of all time guest in the recording studio. Should I say recording studio? <laughs> you guys don't know where we are. In the <laughs> recording studio, uh, J3PO. J3PO. So I, I don't if, if if you've been listening to the first two episodes, we have. I don't think we've gone an entire episode without mentioning you throughout the show <laughs> at several different points. Um, probably me citing incorrect information, which is uh, one of the reasons I'm really excited you're here. You took me to my first fish show. You've actually been with me throughout a lot of my fish career. Probably I would say about seventy percent of the shows that I've been to, you've been to. Um, probably higher. <laughs> yeah. You also uh, taught me how to brew. Um, so I would not be on this podcast doing this right now if not for you. So I love it. <laughs> same. Everything, everything with me is the same as well. Since I've met you, <laughs> since I've known you, you've been into fish and beer and same as me. So we've had those two hot button topics to discuss. And as everyone who's listening knows, those are the two favorite things of my life. Yeah. Beer and fish. I, I think, Pretty um, much me too. <laughs> I think one of the NFL. <laughs> I think one of the best things I'm looking forward to is uh, we said it a lot uh, last episode that we're really young fish fans. I've only been a fish fan since 2010. Uh, Liza, you've only been a fish fan 2014. since 2014. I hate telling people that. <laughs> Do you think they take you less seriously? Yes. <laughs> That's precisely why I hate it. Which is funny because you're probably a better fish fan than I am at this point. <laughs> and I've been listening to them for seven years. <laughs> Eight years. It seems Gosh. like Liz reads a lot. <laughs> yes, I, I was just about to say that. J3PO and I uh, care about, you know, the origins of songs or where they were written. Like, we care about all the cool things that go around fish. Right. I do read a lot. Like, who knew Weekapog was a beach community in Rhode Island? Well, I did, but... <laughs> <laughs> See, I right, didn't. Guys. He fle- flexed in those fish muscles. It's great. <laughs> the only and muscle I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- that's why I'm really excited to have you here. Uh, the theme of the show is then and now. So you came to us when we pitched to you uh, to be on the show, and you came up with this theme, and I just want you to take a second and explain what you mean when you say then and now. All right, so then and now. Um, listening to the first couple of episodes of the cast, um, it became uh, inherent to me that there are some big major differences between going to see fish in the 90s and going to see fish in 3.0 and fish in 2.0. Um, things are different. Songs have, you guys were talking a little last week about how songs change and evolve and like how there's different versions of the songs like you were mentioning Weekapog, like sometimes they jam it out, sometimes it's standard. And I would say that that has a lot more to do sometimes with what year it was than it necessarily does uh, the actual song itself. I've watched some songs, you know, they started playing 2001, also Sprock Zarathustra, in 93, I want to say, and it was just a vehicle to segue into, like, Maze or David Bowie. It was a setup song. And then it grew by 97 to a second set centerpiece, and then through 2.0, they played it, and then in 3.0, it's back to basically a setup song. It's always five minutes. They don't really expand upon it and all of that kind of stuff. So I thought I would talk a little bit about all of these kinds of things. And then the other big thing to me that I find funny is ticket prices over the years. I did some research, <laughs> and it's astounding uh, how expensive fish shows. And concerts just in general are these days. Concert tickets have inflated 
way more than actual inflation. So, <laughs> so like, if a ticket was, you know, 23 bucks in 1997 with standard inflation, that would mean tickets are like $38 now. But they're <laughs> not. They're like 80 bucks. Yeah. Well, tell, tell me about your first show. So the then. Get us to okay. the very, very beginning of the then. The, the <laughs> very beginning, actually, for me, wasn't a fish show. It was fish were coming to Gainesville when I was in the seventh grade, and my English teacher at the time told me about it. I couldn't go. It was an 18-plus show unless you were accompanied by an adult, and my mom refused to bring me, and so I was pretty sad about it. But Can't imagine why. <laughs> uh, we didn't even know. See, and here's the thing. Uh, she just didn't want to go. So a couple months later, I'm listening to the brand-new Rift album, and it's the piano solo for uh, the song Rift, and she's, my mom comes, and she's like, this music is great. What is this? And I was so mad. <laughs> Did like, you, unle- you, c- you unleashed on her? That, that, probably a little. That, I, that was the, the band that um, you wanted, so wanted to see? I had all these albums. The first time I saw them was October 23rd, 1994. It was a free show at the UF Bandshell in Gainesville, Florida, and it's most notably known for the Harry Hood from a live one. Um, now, nice. leading up to that show, I had all of their records, and in my mind, I was like, I can't believe I'm about to see these guys. They're awesome. They're already kind of my favorite band, but the question in my head was, how the hell are they going to pull this off live? Like, these are some complicated songs with some complex changes and whatnot. So, I had no idea about fish heads or following the band around or tapes or the, I didn't have the internet yet. I knew nothing except for... Their records. And so, I mean, I was totally floored. I got the bug right away. It was just amazing. In fact, the best, one of the best moments of my life, I think, is they closed the first set with Sample in a Jar, and Trey walks up to the mic and is like, thanks, everybody. And I'm thinking in my head, that is one of the best concerts I've ever seen in my life. These guys rock so hard. And then Trey is like, we're going to take a 15-minute break. We'll see you guys later. And I was like, oh, my God, there's, they're playing more? Like, <laughs> this is amazing. And there was a You Enjoy Myself. There was, you know, a Chalk Dust opener, uh, Haley's Comet. Like, just, oh, it was a, just a, it, I don't know. I was floored. And I knew then. I mean, the first time I heard Fish, I felt like I had found something I didn't realize I was looking for. And that was just an album. And that's like a rough draft compared to, going to these shows and they were in full stride and by 94 i mean that's a watershed year for them yep in in a lot of regards so so you got into them right away yeah and you had like enjoyed them and liked them as a band because you had their cds and you wanted to yep. go see them play live yep exactly i, I think what's that's really so cool <laughs> I think what's also it's interesting very rare. is that it's ra- yeah that's why i'm saying i had the, the exact polar opposite experience I think what's also interesting is that he was listening to studio albums. He, you know, well, we didn't have the internet. Like, yeah, I, I didn't. I mean, it, it was existed in 1994, obviously, but I didn't have it at my house, and streaming content wasn't really a thing, <laughs> you know. Right. I mean, so, 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 did you talk to anybody else you knew about this band? Did you talk to friends? Did you? Talk yeah, to yeah. The I teacher? was there with some. I was there with some friends. Um, by and the time they, I saw, by well, the time I saw them, it was 94, so I no longer knew that it was my seventh grade teacher. I was in high school by the time I actually got to see them play. Um, I was in tenth grade. And I went with some friends. They weren't as blown away with me. They all kind of liked it. But, like, I immediately, I got this book by Dean Budnick that uh, I think it was called Fishing or something like that, some kind of pun of gone fishing or whatever. And it outlined the history of the band. And then in the back, it just had set lists from every known show. And so I would just sit there and look and read these set lists. And then how you got tapes back in the day was when I did finally get the Internet, you'd go to this AOL messenger board 
and it took like 15 minutes for the fish logo to load up and you would <laughs> you would see these people they would post and they would have lists of tapes they had and tapes they were looking for right and so i had a couple tapes and then i met a dude that went to the other high school in gainesville and he had a bunch of tapes and he needed a bass player for a gig and i said i'll do it but you have to let me dub all of your fish tapes and so then i had an arsenal so i could go start trading and you would dub these tapes and send them priority mail and the two would cross in the mail and they would get theirs and you would get yours and so like i'm i remember waiting like it took me like months to get new year's 95 and i was so <laughs> pumped in like march of 96 when i finally got to hear New Year's 95. Do tapes travel well by mail? Did you get like cracked tapes and stuff? No, I never had a single problem. Never had a single problem, never a single issue. Nothing ever got lost. No one was ever shady. It was all done out of the goodness of our hearts because we just wanted to get these tapes. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, that's, that's what happened. So then, 95, I go to more shows. Uh, I have a driver's license by then. Um, nice. So, and uh, like you were saying, you felt like you were born in the wrong time. I feel like I was born exactly at the right time. <laughs> like, I grew up as Fish grew up as a band. So I've seen every phase yeah. besides bars and stuff in the early 90s. But Yeah, but th what's interesting to me that I've seen, like, just doing the little bit, because I don't do nearly as much uh, research as you guys do, is just how things were back then. I feel like when I see footage of the 90s and 1.0, it's a lot of people in cars, everybody's driving somewhere, the the venues are always like up these roads in like Vermont or you know New England somewhere where they pack all these cars onto these like farmlands and stuff and gas is like super cheap at the time, it's what, like 90 cents a gallon? When I first started driving right. it was 98 cents a gallon. Yeah, so and it's I had like... a Volkswagen <laughs> Bug which gets like a billion miles to the gallon. <laughs> so right, so like to get yourself to a fish show, I honestly, at the end of the day, you're paying what, tw you know, 25 bucks for a ticket and then maybe a couple dollars in gas there, a couple dollars in gas on the way back, and you slept in your car. I'm slept in my car, didn't yeah. give a shit about it, loved it. Um, so uh, my first show was free, so obviously it doesn't get any cheaper than that. But uh, in the fall of 94, tickets were somewhere around 17 bucks. Um, Jesus Christ. Uh, the first time anything was over $23 uh, was probably, or the, the first thing, 12.31.95 ticket stubs I looked at online, that was a $30 show. Um, okay. 97 fall, uh, which is, I went to a lot of shows on that tour, I remember tickets were $23.50, there's the infamous line on the movie Bittersweet Motel where Fishman says, people only have to pay 23 bucks to get their ears pissed in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I remember that. Uh, <laughs> The 99, uh, 98 into 99 New Year's Eve run was uh, 30 bucks. Um, 91 ticket stub I saw, $10. Uh, I remember being pissed off when they went to 23 bucks. I also remember being going to the Great Went and thinking $70 is so much money. $70 was for the weekend? Yeah. Wow. Magnum Ball came in at 225 Now, Right. That's what most, I was going to say. Most yeah. festivals were only two days until... Really, 3.0 is the first time that the festivals were three days, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but Magnum Ball 225, you got to figure if they do do another <laughs> festival. Do do. Dollar uh, in the pot. 300, uh, <laughs> it's not a mispronunciation, it's just a bad joke. Uh, <laughs> um, Fair. That it's got to be, the over-under's got to be set around 300 bucks or something like this. Uh, um, For those great, of you Great Went was 70, the Lemon Wheel was 80, um, uh, Big Cypress, which was the, the, the one... The granddaddy of them all that I feel like the one thing I really missed uh, was Big Cypress, which was the Y2K New Year's run, um, which was a festival and a New Year's run rolled up into one in the Everglades, uh, Florida. That was 
150 bucks. Um, I went to the It Festival in 2003. That was 137.50, which is a weird price. I don't know where they <laughs> round it up. Yeah, where, where they, I don't know where they got that number from. Like just make make 140 bucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know. It's all 20s too. It's so easy. <laughs> right. Just go right to the. And what's funny is I scraped together all my money to, that I had. I was pretty broke at the time. And then I get to it, and there's just tickets all over the ground. Oh my god! <laughs> just I just sitting there, and I was like, oh. So I st- we started picking them up and handing them to people, looking for extras. And people thought we were like some amazing. I don't know why, but there were just tickets on the fucking ground. It's strange. <laughs> Crazy. Huh. Um, but yeah, getting a driver's license and having a car and being at the late 90s, I had the opportunity. Gas was cheap. The 90s was an economic boom. I mean, you think about Bill Clinton, education's cheap. Uh, we're in, like, economics is up. Uh, things are good. Fisher growing up as a band, you know. Even so, I went to three shows in 95. So I'm once in 94, three shows in 95, then another four or five uh, in 96, and then 97... Between summer and fall, that's where the floodgates really start to open for me. Um, and then how often would you go to shows then, when you started going all the time? Um, Any time I feasibly could. I probably went to 15 or so shows in 97. Have you ever, like, gone a whole leg, like a whole summer tour? You just I've never done a hard. whole tour. I've done big legs of tours. Um, I think the, I've done, like, probably, like, 10 to 15 shows at once. It's hard to remember also because sometimes I would just roll up without tickets and I've spent some shows on the lot with people, couldn't score a ticket or didn't have enough cash, you know, or whatever. Um, so sometimes I'm like, was I at that show or was I just hanging out in the parking lot? Okay, <laughs> I, this show is between these two. I definitely remember that one. It, it starts to blur together after a while. Um, so the other thing I wanted to talk about is uh, over the course of this time, um, if you remember seeing them at the beginning of 3.0, uh, when your tenure started and even probably you, did they still have the three screens over the stage? Yes. So looking at the stage, if you're in the audience, so it's like house, uh, left to right, it's McConnell, Anastasio, Gordon Fishman. And so, uh, and that's how the original 1.0 era was until 1999. What happens in 99 is Trey moves to where Fishman is, and then Fishman moves in one, and Gordon is next to Paige. Yeah, those videos are weird if you ever watch them. What I was just, awesome it about it is my brain. Fishman's <laughs> kick drum is kicking right at Mike Gordon's station, and so they, they were completely locked in in some ways. And yeah. so first what happens is Fisher in their original formation, which is McConnell, Anastasio, Gordon, and then Fishman on the edge, so the keyboards and the drums. And so you people would often ask, you sit in fish side or page side? Mm. Um, page side rage side is a new idiom to 3.0, but people did refer to it as page side. Uh, so then around 95, I want to say, Trey gets the little percussion kit, and yeah. they're trying to look for new ways to like have him not lead the jam, because basically like everything was, like the jam and the gag of fish up to that point was tension and release, peek out the solo, young Trey, high flying bends, lights going crazy. Yep. And I think they were trying to consciously look for ways to like push that, like what if Trey's having a shitty day? Can Paige step up? Like how are we, you know? Right. So they're trying to think of ways to incorporate the other instruments into the lead role. And so Trey would get a delay loop going and get on this little drum kit. I wasn't the hugest fan of it, as I am not a fan of when they all... The marimba? Yeah, gather around the whatever... So they've always been a band that has experimented 
with noise and yeah. placement noise and, and placement lights and the lighting trying rig, to be watching the lighting rig get bigger okay i mean you're i'm going to shows in 96 which is i think an underrated year um everyone that calls themselves a fish fan should listen to that halloween show and vegas 96 is uh, a classic to me um but 97 rolls around, and immediately it's like Paige McConnell has like six more keyboards. There's a bigger lighting plot. It's better. Like, and Trey's drum kit has gone away. And now it's, he's percussive on the guitar. When, and, and that's when, and it really hit home, I think, with the, the talking heads covering a Remain in Light. Uh, that really got them to play in these sort of tongue and groove kind of pockets and really spurred the like the funk filled awesomeness that you know the cow funk quote-unquote that we all came to know and love which is now just one of the tools they use to venture through jams um i think they use all their tools now which is why you could say 3.0 could be considered better than all of the other variations like you know 97 if forget it if you didn't like the funky jam which i don't what person wouldn't like this i don't know uh you're shit out of luck you know if you wanted 95 shit out of luck and that's the way fish have always been. i like i like to hear you talk this way because uh it just it makes me very excited and i i think that's how a fish fan should be is like you so many people when they walk up to me you know like you're saying will ask me like oh after the bakers does it oh what was your favorite show Who cares? and i'm like i'm like you <laughs> they all blend together in my mind but I just had a great time, and I got to see them right. play a bunch of cool shit, and that's why I loved it. Like, yeah. you, that's what you say. Your thing that you always say is, when someone asks you what your favorite show is, yours, what's the next one? Yeah, when are we going And that's next? great. That's, <laughs> I love that. Because you've like truly grown with the band, as you were saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a great time to be a fish head growing up in the 90s. Uh, you know, I, I can't imagine what it's like to have... Like, a lot of people, I think their favorite band might be something they never had the opportunity like there's a lot of deadheads that are younger than us and it's like you never got the chance to see him people oh miles davis is my favorite musician well he's been dead forever you never got to see him live my favorite band of all time i literally watched them grow up as a band and grow as a band as i was growing up and so the parallels and the nostalgia is uh huge yeah it sounds unreal i gotta i got i found this joke this fish joke for you guys if you'll give me a second to read it, it's very related to what uh, JP was saying about their jams and the multi-percussion stuff. So, Hauser dies and is greeted at the gates of heaven by Jerry. They begin to walk towards a giant mansion. As they enter their mansion, he notices a long hallway with many doors. He opens the first door and sees Stevie Ray, bon- Stevie Ray Vaughan playing in Texas Roadhouse. He opens another door and sees Jimi Hendrix playing in a room engulfed in flames. He gets to another door and he sees John Lee Hooker sitting on a, a, lo- a log playing guitar in a swamp. As they move further down the hall, Hoser notices a blinding white light coming from the end of the hallway. As they approach the light, he sees Trey playing an engulfed, engulfed in white light. Hoser turns to Jerry and asks, Trey didn't die, did he? Jerry responds by saying, he's not dead, but he thinks he's God. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> I just think it's funny because I, I think people think that Trey strokes his own cock and shit and ego and i actually think the opposite i think he's a super humble dude every time i see interviews of him he like is i don't know he doesn't have that like john mayer on camera type you have feel. to you have to remember <laughs> and this is a really focal point of fish and 3.0 you have to remember the ultimate lowest low of trey and that is probably coventry and after coventry getting arrested almost losing his life and his family and now coming back from that he is a humbled man that was broken and has regained his success. Fish had to re-evolve themselves through all of their phases. When you listen to 2009, 2010, 
they're going through the phases and they were even set up like their old selves. Um, so yes, he's humble now. Trey in 1995 was probably a cocky prick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Think about it. Think now. about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, but that's on the way up, you know, and again, in 1995, I don't think they were, they weren't really, you know, those aren't like the cocaine fueled days or, or the drug fueled days. Those were, I think Trey would leave the show and go to his hotel room and start working on the set list for tomorrow night, you know, or the next show. They still right. made set lists back then. Uh, and I mean, they took it really seriously. And so I think the joy for them was all the hard work they put in in the show was like really their drug. And I, they were probably doing, you know, psychedelics and stuff like that. But I don't think the quote unquote designer drugs hit them until later in the 90s, yeah. especially 1999 which is why I think they played that song on Powder Donut Night. <laughs> yes. First. It's a little tongue-in-cheek joke. Yeah. Mm. Not so, so veiled. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, it's my first MSG show, by the way, 12-31-1998. 12-31-1998. And I they opened with 1999 by Prince. <laughs> <laughs> I was 10 years old, not that was ago. So that was the first time they played that song. Mm-hmm. And then I, we got to see I them call, play it. I called it. it, too. I called it at the show. It was we got great. to see them play it at Baker's Dozen. Yeah. That still remains one of the moments I can close my eyes and see Paige starting that song. And just the sound around me in MSG was uproarious. And it was great. That's that's a, that's a pinpoint this. moment. I Forgive do remember. If I go too fast. Yeah, my only complaint was I they didn't do the full real intro. Uh, but whatever. I mean, I, great. I I it one thing great. I want to say about the now uh, cuz we've talked a lot about the then is that you and I I've been to over 100 shows at this point. So yeah. you and I have seen a crap ton of 3.0. And we yeah. were, you know, I had a car at the time, so I was driving us places. Uh, we, we were on a couple fish benders. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. We definitely did, like, I think five shows was a big one. We did, the, I, I know it's when we saw them in Camden. Um, we had just come off, like, I seeing cl- them for a weekend. It was, like, closed a Tuesday. The show, sh- closed the show with joy. I was, <laughs> I was super happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> I also remember that the lot was, like, being patrolled by, like, police yeah, helicopters. helicopters flying around. Yeah. It's like, meanwhile, there's, like, crack... Crack people like this is in Camden. Camden is kind of a bad yeah, dude. This is why I'm not amped to go to Camden this summer. (laughs) Historically, they've played some pretty good shows there. Um, and I like the amphitheater okay, it's not one of my favorite spots. Um, Meriwether Post, yeah, was my my mind right to go there? Yeah, Meriwether Post would probably be if I was gonna go to, I'm just gonna do Watkins Glen if they actually announce it. Uh, but if I were going to go to any, if I could go to any shows I wanted to on the tour, especially the East Coast, Meriwether Post just has so much history. Um, See, this is why I consult you. Right. And this segues us perfectly into the topic of what venues they play and that are like powerhouse venues and what venues they don't play anymore. Yeah. Um, so the biggest, best, most fun fish weekend for me ever of all time was... Hampton 97. Yeah, everyone always says yeah. Hampton. So I never, obviously wasn't there, so but I there's, love that show. It's general admission, and what I mean by that is every ticket is the same price, but there's no seats on the floor, and there are no assigned seats. So you can get in there early and go sit wherever you want. There's little to no security. I have never seen people on the floor of a fish show before it starts. And by the way, that second night, 11-22-97, ticket time is 7.30. It was closer to 9 o'clock when they started the show. Jeez. So, And I'm watching people. I'm in my, where we like to sit in the 119. And yeah, yeah. I, I'm in that kind of place. Right. But the Hampton version of that, I don't know the, the sections of that venue. And I'm sitting there, but I'm watching the floor. And I'm just watching people pass around like 
bongs, like giant <laughs> bongs. Like, how do you get a bong into, into, a, into, a, into a fucking arena? So it's like, just like a giant party. It, it is more than a giant party. It was known because the dead made it um, such a legendary venue themselves. Uh, they call it the Spaceship Ship Hampton. The lot is great. Between the rows of cars, there are rows of trees. It's fun to walk around. It literally looks like a freaking UFO. Um, so Hampton, that's an iconic venue. They haven't been there since 2014. I think they'll be back. I think they chose that for a reason, uh, to come back in 2009, 3.0, those three nights in Hampton. Uh, sadly, those are some that I would like to be at. There's no particular highlights from the, those shows, in my opinion, musically, but just to be in the room, to hear them open that first night with Fluffhead when they didn't even play at all at 2.0 and know that they were back and they were sober and they were serious again after what happened in Coventry. Um, iconic venues. Meriwether Post is the most iconic, I think, on the tour that they're doing this year. Um, uh, Alpine Valley and Deer Creek. Deer Creek is Noblesville, Indiana. Now it's called Verizon or whatever. Uh, you guys mentioned uh, the Xfinity Center in Mansfield, Massachusetts, which is really a suburb of Boston. Everybody actually knows that venue as Great Woods but it's not called that anymore because of sponsorship. Huh. So, like, they're playing... Uh, I was at the legendary 97 Walnut Creek show that's now called, like, Verizon at Walnut Creek or something like that. Yeah. So a lot of these venues, their names are changing. Like, we uh, introed the show with something from Halloween 96. The Omni in Atlanta no longer exists. Um, it's a different arena now. They've completely floored it and, and rebuilt it. Um, Nassau Coliseum, somewhere they haven't been forever, which just got renovated. I hope they make it back there. Legendary shows from 99. And, of course, in 2.0, that is the legendary, I think it's 228.03, I want to say, uh, February 28th. Uh, it is the Destiny Unbound bust-out. Longest bust-out in history, I think, ever still. Uh, they hadn't played it since 1990 or 91, and it's 2003. Wow. And people, what, like, I hate that song. Uh, it's, they, I think they stopped playing it because they wanted to get away from people thinking, oh, Fish, they're just another Grateful Dead type band, and that one sounds really Grateful Deady. But huh. it's legendary in its own right, and it's noteworthy because of the length of the bust-out. And it's, it was funny, I, I knew what it was right away, and I was like, oh my god, this is fucking destiny and like you could it's one of those where you don't get the immediate roar like you would if like they bust out the tweezer intro riff right. or whatever but like slowly you start to hear like people are talking and people's eyes are bugging out and it, like the arena just came to this slow like volcanic roar i'd never seen anything like it and uh i had just broken up with a girl at a time at the time so that <sighs> it made me pretty happy that they were busting that out but that's not all they did the second set has a tweezer and a soul shakedown party that's really probably worth a mention I love Soul Shakedown Party. Love it too. I've had great luck with that song. I think I've seen it uh, like four out of the six times they played it or something like nice. that. Like I've, I've always had good luck with that and uh, grab my shoe mouth. <laughs> Manteca. Yeah, I've seen a Manteca with you, I believe. <sighs> yes. I believe I The Golden Ginteca, as they call it, which closed the first set at Bethel's. Yep. Uh, That's my and I really thought they were going. Show. I really thought they were going into. Uh, Golden aged bathtub gin. Yeah, it was bathtub gin, and it it, it sounded Golden like gin taker. Yeah, that's what the that's the nickname for it. But they're nice. playing bathtub gin, and then in it you, you start to hear the uh, the TV on the radio um, Golden Age intro, and it's like, man, this is going to be the sweetest segue ever. And then Trey kind of curved it a little bit, and all of a sudden it was grab a shoe mouth. But for nice. a second, I think everybody in the in the place thought it was uh, maybe not him. He was out of his gourd. <laughs> <laughs> 
by him I mean I told you there's there's reasons there's reasons some of these shows I do I I do remember J three PO going like nuts and I was just like what's going on and again one of the reasons I love having you at fish shows is because I get to be super hands off and not have to think about stuff I think it's only recently since I've gone over a hundred shows that you and I are kind of racing to see who calls a song first now at this point and it used to just be I used to just sit there and go. What's that? <laughs> You're like, oh, it's this. And I, I, so again, I think the reason why um, my, well, one of the reasons why my knowledge is so uh, little in that regard is because you've kind of always been my fish encyclopedia. So right. I rather read the cliff notes than read the whole book. <laughs> that's just, I don't know. That's ADHD. just me. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. All right. Well, Can I talk about what beer I'm drinking? Well, we're going to. Before we're taking a break. Oh, uh, okay. Go ahead. I, I just want to fit in before. Before the break, and if that's you. okay. Do you? Cool. I mean, Fish is making me think about this beer. This is um, nonsense. It's a pale ale, American pale ale from Barrier Brewing Company. Uh, and I just I wanted to you know throw Barrier a little what's up because they love fish. I think as much as we all do. They name a lot of their beers after fish. Do they have the ones that have Iculus, the Iculus, Kolsch, right? Simple, Axila. They have a lot of uh, you know. Big black Despite contrary creature from belief, Mars. simple brewing has nothing to do with fish, <laughs> and neither does our original collab beer, Ghost. <laughs> well, we're gonna and get and we'll to get to that next. That. That's right. All right, so we're gonna take a quick break. Yeah, we're gonna take a quick fifteen-minute break. Thanks, guys. J3PO for uh, being on this podcast with us for this episode. Thanks for having me. I, um, I love this. Yes, uh, it's great. I love hearing you talk. <laughs> um, you are a brewer for Simple Brewing Company. Correct. Fantastic. Speak a little Pretty bit much about the brewer. that. <laughs> uh, Simple Brewing the Company. Brewer, a brewer. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, maybe you'll have more at some point. Hopefully. Um, yeah. Simple Brewing Company. Uh, Started, I guess, really kind of officially in 2014 or 15, I would say, when we did our Indiegogo campaign to uh, 
get our half barrel system. Um, so I'm currently brewing on a Sabco half barrel uh, recirculating mash. It's now that I've mastered it, it's the greatest thing ever. I I used to fear it, and now I loathe brewing in my kitchen. Unfortunately, I have to brew on this system outside because that's where I keep it. So in the colder months, uh, I'm brewing, you know, the old kind of homebrew style way. But uh, Simple Brewing Company, we're looking for space right now. Um, we aspire to be somewhere between a half and a three barrel brewing company that does small batch artisan ales, uh, focusing a lot on balanced, nicely balanced uh, lagers. I don't think there's enough lagers around. I think people are so concerned with money and a commercial brewery, you can make whatever, like four ales in the same time you could make one lager. And so nobody's doing it. But if you build it into your plan, I think people will generously uh, accept it and want it. Um, it's something that's, I think, vitally missing from New York, especially in our local brew market here. And even when I go to places, it's like, oh, uh, with the exception of Folk's beer, I, I think a lot of people, they make these lagers and you're, you're calling this a Hellas lager and it might as well be an IPL. It's so bitter. Like, it's crazy. It's just a misunderstood section of our of our beer market um but you know we have about 15 recipes that we do um the other big thing about simple is after we pay ourselves and keep the money afloat the rest of the proceeds go right back into the community you know uh so depending on where we end up uh, we'd like to stay in brooklyn if possible it's very expensive right uh, so you guys are based out of brooklyn new york correct correct sorry uh, and speaking of loggers you've brought us something that we can sample which yep. I'm very excited about. Uh, all right. Um, do you guys want to go dark or light first? Oh. Always light. All right. So we're going to do... We're, if we're doing them in succession, you want to do light to dark or else you'll be able to taste the light with they're, an objective they're both pretty, palette. They're, they're both pretty mellow. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you give it 15 minutes, it'd be all right. Drink a little water. But, sure. Uh, we'll start light. Uh, so this is um, what I call our lager series, which is... Um, it's the same. It's the same malt bill, and it's the same bittering saz hop. And then there's late edition hops are always a single hop. There's two editions of a single hop, and they're later at 20 minutes. And depending on the uh, the alpha acids of said featured hop, um, it could go nice. Very nice. Yes, it's carbonated. <laughs> depending on how high the alpha acids are, I'll do the later edition at two minutes or flame out. Um, this particular uh, batch is uh, Calypso is the featured hop. So we're drinking... Fantastic. Uh, simple Lager Series Calypso. We've done a Huel Melon. We've done a Mosaic. Uh, El Dorado's on deck. Um, we're going to do some more New Zealand stuff and then some of, the, some of the African hops. I think it's a great way, first of all, just as a brewer to to get to know a hop. And then as a drinker, it's awesome because people want consistency and they want familiarity, but if it's slightly different, that's cool. I think that's one of the reasons we like fish so much, the, the yeah. nuance. It's, it's the same but different. Uh, so speak a little bit about the Calypso hop. Because um, this is one of my favorites. Yeah, it's not as high as you would think in alpha acids. Right. I think it's like in the fours, uh, and right. but it, it's got a power-packed flavor that seems like it would be higher. Um, it's an older variety, considering all of the new stuff that's happened in the last five years. Right. Um, it's been around for a while. It's probably been being developed since the 90s, I, I would say. Um, it's got a good tropical flavor. It's not too citrusy, but it's not too grassy. It's very, like, I mean, I think it's very kind of medium, like, middle of the line. Sure. Um, and, and, but it's, it's, it's unique. 
so are, are, are these single hopped uh, lager series, are they going to be... It's really a double hop. Uh, double, sorry. Double hopped. Are they going to be at the Super Bowl party this Sunday? Uh, no, they will not be at the Super Bowl party Nuts. this Sunday. Haha, um, to those of you who can't have it. Haha. <laughs> it's mine now. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you look at this beer, I mean, it's, it's very clear. It's kind of... Let, not even straw in color. It's super light. I mean, there's nothing to it. There's Pilsner malt, there's a little bit of Carapils, and then there's the hops, and it's American lager yeast. And I've been doing the the newer White Labs series uh, for this beer, which I really like. Um, Me too. I always loved White Labs. I was a huge White Labs fan. I'm back fan. into it. I'm, I've, I've gone back and forth. Um, but I, I think for ales, my favorite, um, if you can't find Pac-Man, which is the best, just the hardest working muscle lifting yeast you could you could find is pac-man rogue pac-man never seen anything ferment like that before but northwest ale yeast which is where it's derived from 1332 uh y yeast smack packets for all you people out there i love that yeast because it imparts just enough flavor to give it that nice american sort of candied finish but not too much flavor so you're letting the hops do all the heavy lifting as far as flavor goes and i like that especially for pails and ipas yeah i think you described that perfectly I think the way you just described it is perfect for this beer. Yeah, the the slightest tickle. Although of this what is the not Northwest says. Ale yeast, this is um this is American Lager yeast, which also this imparts is American Lager yeast. Yeah, which imparts. Okay. but as far as Lager yeast goes, you know, Czech Pilsner, um, some of these German Lager yeasts, the American really imparts the least amount of flavor, and so you're letting the other stuff do the work. Unlike a Belgian or a Saison, where the yeast is super important. Correct. Uh, and, and, and as far as its flavor profile. So that's what we're drinking right now. And uh, simple. A small mom and shop brewery that will be somewhere between a barrel and three uh, given back to the community. It's us. Zing. Fantastic. This beer is great. How often will you be coming out with the different uh, lagers? Um, How frequently? Well, uh, I'm going to have... In the new incarnation of my fermentation setup, I have two 14-gallon conicals and... One will constantly be a lager series, and the other will... And it might not be a lager series. One will constantly be a lager, and most of those will be the lager series. We also do a dark lager, which we'll try later. Fantastic. uh, An Imperial Pilsner as well. Um, There's also a Dortmund that we do. Um, So a lot of... There will always be one lager going while there's an ale going. That's totally awesome. What what are you offering now? What do you got going on now? Yeah, what's going to be at the Super Bowl party? I want to know. I can't. I can't okay, sit so, on it anymore. Hold on, let me <laughs> what am I drinking on Sunday, sir? Right. So we're doing. Um, off the bat, we're doing uh, a beer, uh, double IPA, oak age, double IPA called Nuckfug. It's it's not normally oak age, but I secondary it over oak chips. Didn't use an actual barrel. Don't have the time. Uh, nor Don't the have the barrel. I have a barrel. He has a huge uh, barrel. Yeah, he's got one. I have one. a ten gallon and a five gallon barrel that I'm waiting to use, but. It's the space and the time of letting it sit in there that is just kind of messing with me. So it's sure. aged over oak chips, but uh, it's a double IPA. Um, it's in it's Pliny the Elder esque. It's kind of our, our version of that, which you know is the original double IPA, really by all standards. Um, Correct. Uh, and uh, so with that, there's a ton of hops. Um, Four varieties. You got Warrior, Chinook, Simcoe, Columbus, and Centennial. Um, there's 
a bunch of two row, there's a little bit of crystal 40 and some carapils, and then there's a couple pounds of uh, corn sugar that are first work hopped uh, to really drive it up. I mean, it's looking like right now when I thiefed it, Eight? it's going to be ten? close to 10. Yeah. Oof. Upper All right. And Big boy. You guys were talking about you know, tasting booze and stuff and how it's it's hard to hide. I think this beer hides it really, really well. <laughs> I'm nervous now. That's the one I'm going to probably drink first on Sunday. Um, <laughs> I will always say, I think that is the hallmark of a, a talented brewer. Right. So yeah. then we have the American Stout, which I don't have a name for. Um, maybe we could have an audience participation portion where they, <laughs> they, uh, they name the stout for so us. So we're going to name it Stick Up J3PO's Butt. <laughs> That's what they do in Parks and Rec when they put their slogan on the website oh. and let people vote. <laughs> um, what, the stout uh, is a... Uh, what, yeah, <laughs> what, what, what makes an American stout? Oh, it's just a lot more hops than you'd find in a Guinness or okay. one, of those, one of those Irish sure. hops. Uh, sure, sure, sure. Gotcha. And it's, it's... I didn't dry hop it. I hop bursted it at the end, which huh. for what people that, that don't know, it just means you're adding... What you would add as a dry hop, you're just adding at flame out. And so it's just a slightly different, less harsh, less grassy feel than a dry hop. The other key to this is it's really dark, but a lot of stouts have an over-roasted flavor. My favorite thing about this... Agreed. Uh, my favorite thing about this is Black Prince malt, because Black Prince is... Um, I think it's Wireman Proprietary? I don't know. Somebody, somebody owns it. Only one person makes it. It's a huskless... One of the malsters, It's a yeah. huskless grain. Ooh. So it, it has no husk, so it's just roasted without its husk, so it imparts all of this color without the harsh overtone. And so it really lets some of these hops shine. Um, occasionally we do it where we add uh, grapefruit at the, at the, at the end of it. Um, this is just the straight up stout this time, um, but it's really good. It's roasty. Um, there's some Newport hops, some Willamette, some North Northern Brewer, of course, my favorite, the Northwest Ale East we just talked about, but uh, we add some grapefruit zest and juice sometimes to the secondary because there was an explosion of citrus IPAs on the market, and so I said, "Fuck you guys! I'm gonna make a citrusy stout," and it's, 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 it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it sounds great. Um, I'm the, excited. The third. Beer, what is that? What is well, that clock in at ABV? Oh, it's like six and a half. Okay, fantastic. Um, maybe seven. I think it might be seven this time. I, I, I actually I hadn't brewed on the old system, which is just like uh, you guys were talking about in one of the other episodes, mashing into one of the circular. The igloo, igloo, the igloo mash. Coolers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I also decocked this beer. So it's the longest mash of the year for me when I make this. But I usually do it at least once a year, the stout, um, usually in wintertime. S- speak a little bit about what decoction is, because it's a fun word to say. And I know what it is. <laughs> right. So it's, but in case, it's for those of you listening the, don't know. It's the idea that if you don't have a heatable mash ton and you want to give your grains rests at certain temperatures... Uh, or bring your grain up to temperature, you have to either add more hot water to get it up to temperature, or you take a little bit of the wort away. There's a a hard and a soft decoction. The hard involves actually taking grains and liquid with it and boiling it, putting that back into the original mash to bring up your temperature without adding water. What it does is it creates just layers of flavor. It really intensifies these malt flavors, which is what you want out of a dark beer. And it hits all the temperature points uh, so you get your protein rests and things like that, and uh, it ends up being super efficient. However, it takes 
forever. So long. <laughs> <laughs> See, I love the idea of that. I've always loved the idea of the caction because like you're saying, I, I cook a lot. So yeah. my last like instinct, cooking a sauce down yeah. exactly. My last instinct is to add water to anything. So like you're saying, if you can just concentrate a flavor you already have, and add that back into what you're making, it, it just intensifies and it makes the flavor so much more deep. Yeah. Um, but it's it's the time. That's the thing. It's like that. I think when you're uh, a home brewer and you're trying to just make some beer decoction, I mean, it, it's a crazy thing for you to take on because I, I imagine your mash is taking what? Hours. Three hours, four hours, hours longer yeah, yeah. than that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so you got to bring little bits of it, and I do a soft one, so I don't take the grain with it. I just take some liquid out and heat that up and add it back. For this, I feel like it's it's the best. Um, you know, there's in this there's a little white wheat and there's some Munich one, but it's Crystal seventy eighty and Black Prince and uh, Black Roasted Barley that are really in it. Barely a little bit of Black Roasted Barley, and those are what is making the color and giving those those flavor depths in this beer. It's really great. Uh, a stout. It's people are over underwhelmed, I guess, by stouts in general. Like I don't think like if you have a stout on a tap at a craft beer bar, I bet you cycle through a pale ale three or four times before you get rid of that stout. Like, yeah, nobody's really drinking them, but it's 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 a, a style that style some people like, some people do not like. Yeah, you have um, to be a dark I, beer drinker. I, see, I am not. I do not drink dark beers often, but I very genuinely appreciate a very well brewed stout you gave me one the other day that i don't like stouts period period that or was a, porters. No, porters that, was, stouts. that was a porter the oh, firestone walker. the firestone walker yeah yeah Damn but it. again it just speaks to if you brew something like you as you, you make have, it good yeah people it, will drink it. exactly i can appreciate a really well brewed stout so i'm looking forward to this stout. yeah that'll be there and then um uh just before i s- get to the final offering uh I'm Did good. you like the lager there? Uh, uh, pennies? <laughs> it's is it the the pilsners give me pennies? Nah, lagers do sometimes too. I mean, Depends. pilsners and lagers are the same thing. Well, it's actually a pilsner is always a lager, but a lager is not always a pilsner. I wanted music. <laughs> I brought that in at the wrong time. Um, so anyway, the final offering is one of our first ever. Uh, myself and the kid himself. Uh, as he mentioned, I taught him to homebrew, and uh, we brewed a bunch of batches of beer together <laughs> while going to all these stupid fish shows. Do you think? <laughs> uh, I th- I definitely think I've brewed more batches of beers than I've been to fish shows. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably at this, point, at this point. So I'm well, well, well into. So my- we have for the final my third offering. Uh, here's I just want to pull up the recipe. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's it's called Ghost. And we call it that because it's a rice ale. Um, the kid came to me, and one day he said, I want to make a beer that's, like, kind of hoppy, but, like, not really hoppy, but, like, dry, but not too dry and kind of sweet. And I, I said, I think you're describing, like, a rice ale. Like, for a while, and I don't think you can get it here anymore. They still have it at the brewery, but Great Divide makes a rice ale called Samurai. That and was one of my favorite beers I've ever had in my life. I, th- I agree. And they've actually stopped making it, sadly. They haven't. I just had it last time I went to Denver. This no, no. So, so, uh, so then they, they haven't stopped making it. They've they stopped, stopped bringing it to this market. And I think they stopped bottling it is what they did. I don't think Man, it's... It you, had it on, you had it on draft near in Colorado? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So good. So good. And so that's... that's that where was one of my favorite beers of all time. That's where we started. And so we were doing, you know, Pilsner malt and a bunch of flaked rice, some carapils. Uh, and listen kids out there that want to be brewers uh when you use anything flaked <laughs> please get some rice holes <laughs> avoid a stuck mash you can do it 
it just was buy a pound of rice holes. We had this beer got stuck so many fucking times. Oh my god, um, it was that but was it's it's great. So we funny. called That's it such Pac- a great PSA we, for we, home brewers. Yeah, right? yeah. We called it Pacific Ghost at first because we were using all basically New Zealand hops, and we thought that was cool. Uh, Pacific Jade um, was brand new to the homebrew market when we first started making it. And it came out at, at the beginning. It was a little too sweet. Another friend of ours, uh, a Cicerone uh, as well, suggested maybe break it up with some Amarillo in the bittering. And then we put some Suriachi Ace in the end with more pack Jade. And it's just this nice, tropically, not overbearing, pretty strong beer. Again, Northwest Ale Yeast. Um, but uh, the flaked rice uh, gives it this nice, cloudy, yet very... Uh, light color it's a very bright beer it tastes it's, there's hints of coconut and other stuff and it's all all from this hop mixture there's no adjuncts besides the flaked rice i think it's a wonderful i added some peppercorns at the end um because i've always wanted to do that and the kid always refused and since i made it by myself i uh <laughs> went ahead and did it. i would have <laughs> still refused <laughs> i just i don't i don't know when I've ever sipped on a beer, having made one, you know, with my own hands and like really been like in awe and in like smelling things that I've never smelled in the beer. I've never before we made this beer smelled a uh, beer that smelled like coconuts. Uh, I yeah, think when Lilisa describes it, she says suntan lotion. She says no, but it's it's just so, an so intense, awesome smell. Let's break it's, this down a little bit. When when was the inception of this beer? When did you birth this idea? Oh man, when did you start brewing with me? Uh, uh, it was 2011. So probably 2012 then. Yeah, it was really early in. It was like the first time that uh, every time I had been brewing with J3PO up until that point, I was kind of just going in and he was already making something and we would just do that. And this was the first beer that him and I really thought about together and built together. And uh, <laughs> watershed moment yeah. in the history <laughs> of beer. And what <laughs> did, did you have a specific beer you tried that made you want to brew this beer the it sounds like i did but i didn't so the beer that most reminds me of ghost is bissell brothers reciprocal uh it doesn't smell anywhere close but like the you know it's very dry same color same color um but honestly ghost is way better so (laughs) here's the thing is he knew what he didn't want to drink and that's how he ended up describing it. it's like i'd rather have my beer be like this and this and this and then it was me going through my head and racking my brain thinking like i think you're describing kind of like a rice a flaked rice ale yeah i wanted a drier ipa so a novice came you put your novice beer note knowledge ways into his funnel of knowledge, and he came out with that. That's cool. That must have been really fun. I've always wanted to do that. Yeah, it was fun. Ask um, someone. Ask someone to I describe a beer to me right. and and try, try to, to make, make it, it for or him. try to give them something what they want. They were, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Well, there's gonna be a uh, a game hinge uh, ring. Yeah, talk uh, about. I know you guys beer. talked about this on the other episode, but can uh, we talk about it again? Yeah. Uh, so that is a beer that you came up to me. Lizza came up to the kid himself and said, "I want a cucumber size on." <laughs> A and lot more specific. <laughs> <laughs> I love way more specific and the opposite of what I did with Ghost. <laughs> so I love cucumbers. Yeah, I basically designed this recipe, which is pretty cool. Uh, I love saisons; they're my favorite style of beer, and I love cucumbers, so I wanted to blend those two together. And I think that that in my mind it worked well together because French saison yeast, which is what we use, you know, gives a slightly spicy 
note to the beer and then cucumber is cooling and refreshing and i was just thinking about something i wanted to be constantly drinking at the super bowl party on sunday and that's where my mind went very wintry of you guys yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm joking (laughs) i liked it i just had it myself and i gotta say i liked it um i think it's i think it's gonna be a hit especially after you know i mean we're gonna hit people over the head with some of these other beers, and they're gonna go right to that cucumber beer and be like, "Oh my god, this is refreshing and delicious." Yeah, I think for some of the stuff we're expecting to eat on Sunday, it's, it's gonna look pretty. I mean, I'm incorporating cucumbers good. into my slaw for the pulled pork. So, <laughs> this is perfect. Yeah, and that pulled pork, man. If you're going to the Super Bowl party on Sunday, get it while it's hot because it goes in like five seconds. <laughs> it'll be yeah, it'll be out by like half an hour before kickoff, and it'll be gone by the time. The, the game kicks off. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Festivities start at 4.20 p.m. Uh, <laughs> get there early if you want these beers, Game Henge and Simple, because they're going to go. Trust me. And then you'll be left with a PBR, and you'll be happy because it's a Super Bowl, but <laughs> you'll have missed something cool. Awesome. That was great. That was a good plug. Uh, so what are we drinking now, J3PO? Okay, so this is another one of our lagers. This is uh, an American dark lager. Um, I wouldn't call it a Schwartz beer. It does use... Uh, Vienna lager yeast. Um, where is this? Yeah. Um, sorry, Munich. I don't think there is a Vienna lager. It's Munich lager yeast. So that's kind of Schwartz beery, but it's more American. It's bittered with Galena hops, which are pretty high. And then we call it the dark crystal. So, of course, there's crystal hops in it. And yes, it's a long way to go for a pun on a cool movie, but we did it. Um. <laughs> what did you add to this beer to make it dark? So there's Crystal 80 Lovabon, there's uh, some chocolate malt, and there's a little bit of Black Patent. Black Patent. So I remember... I knew I tasted that. Can't, can't, over, can't over do it with the Black Patent. It, it'll, it gets too bitter. The difference between this and like the Stout or the Porter is that lager gives it just that clean finish. So it's a dark beer. I mean, it's not that dark. Not like no, not no, like no. It's it's be, it's appropriately it's, it's, you know as SRM appropriate. There's notes of toffee, coffee, kind of roasty, nice. and a little bit of hop flavor, and then it finish clean drops right off. Yep. Yes, which is exactly. exactly what it's supposed to do. Yeah, this is fantastic. This is I understand. So when novice beer drinkers come up to me and always wanted something dark, but they wanted something a little bit more palatable yeah i would always recommend a a dark lager because i think it gives you all those amazing flavors those roasty toffee like you're saying dark beer flavors but it's still very tolerable very sessionable drops right off your palate doesn't linger isn't sweet isn't heavy isn't syrupy it's all the good things of of a dark beer i totally agree and again i think it's just another completely underrated style that there's not enough of on the market i like the way you brew you brew the way that I brew, too. I'm a cook at heart. I like to right. cook. And it's you love ingredients, and you are obsessed with ingredients and the combinations they make. It's fabulous. This beer is great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with subtle complexity. like So that like anyone should be able to... like Beer should not be a chore to drink. And yes, I like sours and lambics and all that stuff, and I get why they're unpalatable to a lot of people. But what I want to do is make beer that every novice would enjoy without having a fucking class on it and yet every beer snob could dissect it and be like these are the subtle things that are going on here i was inspired to make beer by john meyer from rogue and i think that in the late 80s and early 90s he was doing just that yeah i think one of the uh reasons i'm most most appreciative of having you as my brew teacher is that uh I don't think my methodology is the same with uh, you and the Lizza, but I think 
the technique and the skill that comes from learning from someone who can pull out these subtleties has helped me become a better brewer. Um, it's very, very hard to get even in the ballpark of what you're trying to make as a brewer. Cause it just takes us so long to see the result. Something, you know, the whole process from start to finish sometimes yeah. is over a month long. Well, and then it's, it's not like cooking in that regard where it's like, Oh, this needs more salt. Psh, sprinkle some salt on it. It's like right. you wait for it to ferment, you keg it, you bottle it, whatever. You drink it two months later, and you're like, oh, this should have been more hoppy. Right, and I... I so it takes longer to refine. Like, to pull it all back, I think Ghost happened Th that's very why I quickly. Asked, no, but um, that's why I asked why, when you came up with the idea for Ghost. So you said in 2000... But that's not the important question. So Ghost, while it's it been, came so up like in 2012... It's as I'm trying to say. But no, but that's the crazy part. Ghost probably figured itself out in about four or five batches. And that's the point I'm trying to make here. Because the think first, it took, I think it took a little longer. It might have, but like even so, that's really short. Because I remember the, from where we started and where we finished with that beer were like night. Drastically day. different, drastically yeah. different, and it did happen. For that, for it to be that drastically different, I think yes, I would tend to agree. Might be a little more than four batches, but who knows? I mean, I could probably I, mean, I have it all written down. I could go back and check. Right. That. That's I mean, but there's certain home... fact check ourselves. On the show? <laughs> Sometimes only at the next episode and only to call the kid himself. Dumb. You guys should have me on for the first five minutes of every show so I can say what beefs I had with the previous episode. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I again, I just think it's incredible um, how quickly. Uh, we've always conceptualized beer and turned it around and now you're you're doing that in spades i mean to say that you have 15 recipes and you know go all to, ready to go yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's awesome i got them for i got them for half barrel and i got them for three barrel um i have the numbers crunched i know where i'm supposed to be it's just a matter of time of getting some affordable space we really are hoping to collaborate with someone else a lot of breweries don't have a lot of other spaces, but sometimes restaurants do. Maybe there's a coffee roaster out there that has an extra thousand square feet they want to give me for, you know, thousand dollars a month. <laughs> Where Good are you based in, out of in, again? Yeah, Brooklyn, <laughs> New York. <laughs> Maybe it's, it's not impossible. They, no, you know, uh, only slivering. only people that live here will get that joke. Uh, <laughs> but maybe if you live in San Francisco, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I'm ready to go. I I call myself not a home brewer anymore. I feel like I'm a semi-professional <laughs> you're <laughs> i'm in the minors you, i was gonna to say have you up. given up your ncaa amateur status yeah, you're getting yes, ready yes, you're getting yeah, ready yeah. <laughs> i can't i can't A3, be what do you call that yeah uh that's way before, as of now i could still enter the a homebrew competition but once we have i mean simple is an llc but we have no space and so uh, yeah um so i think in total there's what 15 gallons of beer at the party 20 all right, yeah, but that's going to go super fast. So, again, if you're coming on Sunday, please make sure to get there early if you want some beer. 420, Bob. <laughs> Are you guys going to talk a little All football? Right. Should we? I mean, it is Super Bowl. Should we talk uh, just a little football? You know what I love super to talk Bowl. about more than beer and fish, maybe? The only other thing might be football. It's football. Yeah, that's <laughs> why. I mean, that's why. So, can I say something out loud that I think you can just go to town on i think the afc sucks and i'm tired of watching the patriots go to the super bowl <laughs> uh, <over yeah>. it. <laughs> uh, and i think it's because of the quality of the afc compared to the nfc 
Boom. I think the Patriots Set. could win any division in football and would have this year. No matter what division they were in, they would have won the division. <sighs> so you can more. you can go ahead and say that they're in a weak NFC East, which they kind of are, but there were two teams in the playoffs from that division. So how weak really is it? How many divisions have two playoff teams? Not very many. Uh, we did for a little while, us being you know Seahawks and Niners fans. We were our division was go it Hawks, was killing it, was it for good. a while. Pretty good, pretty good. And uh, I'll say this about the Patriots: uh, what they're doing is incredible. It's an unprecedented, unprecedented run uh, in the history of a league that is set up for every team to be eight and eight. Like that was their goal. Like Pete Rozelle was doing this. From the beginning, when he was the commissioner of football in the late 70s and 80s and stuff, he wanted to set up a league. That's why the worst team gets the first draft pick and the best team gets the last draft pick, all of that stuff. It's set up to be 8-8, eight and eight. and what the Patriots are doing is absolutely remarkable. And the fact that there's no drop-off with Tom Brady's skill set, and he's 40 fucking years old, is insane. What's also insane to me is, like, how is this not being questioned? Any other player in sports history that had this long of a run that is this good in this era— Somebody would have mentioned the steroids yeah. thing, right? And nobody yeah. has. They're like, oh, this dude snorts kale. He's got his yeah, own Giselle, personal doctor. Giselle makes he doesn't him eat go lemons. to all these. Yeah. No, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I, Wait, it is not, does not, you are not allowed to be on steroids in the NFL. No way. Yeah, no right, way. You get tested. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's amazing. And, and that's. If they ever find even Peyton Manning had a human HGH human growth hormone scandal, and he's one of the best of all. What even, about Joe Montana? It's too early. They didn't care back then. Okay. You could smoke cigarettes on the no, sideline he, and shit. So Tom Brady right now is getting compared a lot to uh, Joe Montana. Joe Montana never lost the Super Bowl, but Tom Brady already has more rings than him. Yeah. And in this day and age, though, in this day and age, it's probably easier for a quarterback. Uh, you don't The way the rules are set up for the NFL, the offense is, is, is king. But it shouldn't diminish anything that the Patriots have done. Uh, while I don't like them very much, and uh, me and Marshawn Lynch have a bone to pick uh, with that Super Bowl win, um, they're, they're incredible. However, they've never won a Super Bowl by more than four points, yet they're favored by five and a half at this point. So if you're a betting person, put your money on the Eagles to cover the spread. Yeah, you wouldn't take that bet. I would take that bet. You Eagles you, to cover. Oh, no, Eagles. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't have to you, win. You're saying the Patriots are going to win, yeah. but the spread yeah, but right now. They're going to win by two or three points, like yeah. they always and do. And that's what I'm saying. So you can't take that bet because you can't take the spread. You, if no, you, you think you, they're you, not going to. I think what, well, what I'm saying is the Eagles are, are underdogs by five and a half points. So the right. Patriots are favored by five and a half points. If they win by three, the Eagles get the bet. So, so you want to bet you're on saying you don't think the Patriots are going to win by five and a half points. You think exactly. it's going to be two or three points. Exactly. So the bet is on the Eagles. Correct. They're going to come. I was just saying it the opposite way of you. Right. Your um, brain was thinking of it the different way. People sometimes sure. have trouble. With I, the plus I agree minus with what you're thing. saying. If it's plus, it doesn't mean you're favored. It means you're getting points. It means you're the underdog. If it's minus, it yeah, means dude, you're giving away points. To the you're others. probably the only person that could describe that to me. Because it's like <laughs> I think um, that's the first it's time. It's like a language. No, just like a language I will never understand. Yeah, I think I understand it. And I'm like, yeah, of course. And it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Can I tell a funny, quick anecdote? Um, yes. Uh, I am a football junkie. Uh, I think I might be the only person in America that sat through every Thursday night game this year. Oh, and wow. I watched all of them. And so, of course, I watched the Pro Bowl yesterday. Now, this has nothing to do with anything about the game. It's never a good game. It's a boring game. It's just one of the last games. And uh, now they have it the weekend before the Super Bowl, which is weird. It was always after, it was always the week after, and it was the one last cry, sobbing, depressing cry of, oh, football's over. 
it's the Pro Bowl, but everybody, even the Super Bowl winners, got to play in it. Um, I don't even care. I don't even think they should play the game. However, the best part about it is everybody's mic'd up, and you had Drew Brees, uh, quarterback of the New Orleans Saints, who's a legend, a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's awesome. He's got these three kids. He let his three kids be uh, ball boys on the sideline. And so they're interviewing him with his three kids, and it's awkward and stupid, and athletes talking is stupid. Like, I'm pretty sure Russell Wilson is a mannequin or a robot, and so is Tom Brady. I don't want to hear anything they have to say. It's all just jargon. So Drew Brees is with his sons on the sideline, and at the end of it, one of his sons kind of runs on the field and then runs back, and he's telling, I think it's Lisa Salters on the sideline. He's like, yo, I just and my youngest son, he's about to get it. Because uh, I told him not to go on the field. And they keep the cameras on Drew Brees, and you, you get to see Drew Brees be a dad. And it's the most awkward yet funny. Emily and I were laughing hysterically so hard because Drew Brees says he's about to punish his kid. Then he kneels down, and he's, he's got that dad face on. He's like, look at me. Look at me. What did I tell you about going onto the field? huh?" What, and then he points. He points upwards. He's like, do you want to go back into the luxury box with your mom? Do you want to go back there? Do you want to go back up there? Do you want to stay on the field like a big boy? huh? Are you looking at me? Are you looking at me? Do you want to go back? So Drew Brees' version of I will turn this car around is, do you want to go back to the luxury box instead of staying on the sideline with your brothers? You have to go watch the game with your mom! <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that was awesome. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to uh, let us know uh, what we're listening to on our way out from here because you had a very specific song you had uh, for the outro of this podcast. This so. is the ever elusive Guy Forget. Now, some people call it Guy Forget. Just so that you know, I think it's the late 70s, maybe the 80s, there's a famous tennis player. He's French. His name is Guy Forget. The lyrical refrain, and it's a Fishman thing, is I've never met a man I could not forget more than Guy Forget. And it tickled me so much the first time I heard it, and they've only played it twice, and I fucking love this song. And uh, shout out to at Guy Forget on Twitter for being a good Fish fan. I don't actually know him personally, but he's cool. Take us out, kid. Thank you for joining us this week on Gotta Jabrio J3PO. Thank you for being here. It was a pleasure, and we will see you next week. Yeah, don't forget, we now have a Facebook and an Instagram. You gotta find us at Gotta Jabrio. See you guys next time.